Good morning and welcome to Grace. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We have a silent meditation uh, in your bulletin. Before I welcome you, let me take just a moment and read that. As I read that, listen to this question that we are given from the Heidelberg Catechism, which is the fourth petition. We're talking about the Lord's Prayer. The answer is this, give us this day our daily bread. That is, be pleased to provide us with all things necessary for the body, that we may thereby acknowledge thee to be the only fountain of all good, and that neither our care nor industry nor even thy gifts can profit us without thy blessing, and therefore that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it alone in thee. Let us reword that with today's Psalter. Unless the Lord builds it, we build in what? In vain. That's right. Welcome here this morning. I hope you got a bulletin. There are some announcements in there. There are things that are set out ahead of you that you can read. But we do have an announcement that's not in there, I believe. And that is we have choir rehearsal practice. So anyone who normally sings during the worship service, raise your hand. Yeah, that was going to be... Yeah, you guys are catching on fast. No, if you're interested in helping and sing and being a part, uh, just know right after Sunday school at 12.15, if you're interested, and even if you can only stop in or whatever, that's when they're practicing. So you can let your, your wishes be made known. Sarah would love to have you help and be a part in any way as they plan things, not only just for the leading here, but as you saw before with ensembles or some specials or things that we do along the way, we'd love for you to be a part of the music ministry uh, as a whole. Um, as we move forward. So please pray about that as well. We also want to invite you to Sunday school classes right after this. For those of you visiting with us, we do have Sunday school classes or Bible study groups right after this for all of the children. And the Lord has truly uh, blessed us in the last couple years, um, even not only on Sunday morning, but also on Sunday nights. And so let me quickly insert a prayer request um, here. Um, if not, we'll probably call you. We've yanked some of you by the side. Um, I don't know a couple years ago if I asked you how many children were in the church. You could probably count on one or two hands. Now on Sunday nights, we counted the other day, we had 24 children, we have up to 20 youth, and we have 19 preschoolers that we could have if we had teachers to help for preschool. So the only one we're not doing is preschool. And folks, we need help. So I'm wanting you to pray about this. We need your gifts because obviously if the Lord is sending us families, we want to be able to minister to those. And I'm selfish as a pastor, I'll say that up front, before we try to create fellowship groups and activity groups and wonderful travel groups, I'd really like to develop what? Teaching groups. Because it's the one place that when people come, they can expect to get what nobody else is going to give them. And so please be in prayer. Because we need your help. We have all kinds of families. We want to minister to them. We've started developing the nursery. We've moved it upstairs. We're getting the sound and hopefully video and things put in there so that you can still be a part as parents if you need it. So the Lord's been blessing us tremendously, but we need your gifts. So just be in prayer. Even if it's not something you want to do every week, you may be able to help us on a team, rotate around, and be a part of a team that's helping to teach these children those valuable truths that we need. So please pray about that. Whether it's Sunday school or Sunday night, uh, we need your gifts. And so, so much there um, that we need you for. 
And so let's take a moment, go to the Lord in prayer. I'll lead us to the throne of grace, and if you would, join me in the Lord's prayer. Uh, I'm excited to hear some of our kids who are reciting it and memorizing it in their Sunday school classes, and so it's exciting to hear them as they get that down. But if you need that, it's inside the cover of your red hymn book if you need the Lord's prayer. But let me lead us to the throne of grace together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your love. Uh, Lord, for the blessings that you have given us, and Lord, for the work that you've put before us. Uh, Lord, there are so many times we have prayed for things, not realizing that as always when you open the floodgates, it overwhelms us. We're never truly able to handle what you give us on our own. And Lord, we can only do it through your help, through the guidance of your Holy Spirit, and through the gifts of your children that you've brought us. And so, Lord, I just lift up to you this morning uh, that we stay focused, that we stay on track, that you'll give wisdom to our elders, uh, you'll give hearts of compassion and uh, ministry ideas to our deacons, that you'll touch the, the believers, the members of our church with their gifts that you've given them, so that, Lord, as we go forward, we can continue to, to minister to your kingdom and to do it effectively and Lord, to be that place that's not compromised or even improvising in ways so that when people come, it's not just about the fun. It's not just about the fellowship. Uh, Lord, it's about learning the word. It's about a personal relationship through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, here this morning, more than ever, we realize as we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper, that unless you're involved in it, it's all vain. And so, Lord, we come together as a body boldly to that throne of grace, coming as the gifted people that you've made us, Lord, so that we could pray together as a body, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me, if I can, ask you to stand as I call us to worship. You'll see some bold print along with the normal print. I'll read the normal print if you'll join together with me and in the bold print. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the songs of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Let's remain standing for our confession of faith which is from the larger catechism. I will read the question and then let's respond together. What is the chief and highest end of man? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. How doth it appear that there is a God? The very light of nature in man and the works of God declare plainly that there is a God. But his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto men for their salvation. What is the word of God? The holy scriptures of the Old and New Testaments 
are the word of God, the only rule of faith and obedience. As we come to our call to confession, our loving God encourages us to come with our burden. Our greatest burden is our sin. So listen now as I read this call to confession from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. I'm here to tell you now is a time. Let's pray together this prayer, which is for you in the bulletin. O Almighty God, we humbly ask you to make us like the tree planted by the waterside, that we may bring forth fruits of repentance and good living in due season. Forgive us our past offenses, sanctify us now, and direct all that we should be in the future. For Christ's sake, amen. With true and sincere confession comes this wonderful promise, this assurance of pardon from 1 Timothy 1. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. If you confess that honestly about yourself and you confess that Jesus is your only hope, your only Savior, you're looking to him and his righteousness to save you, to sanctify you, to give you hope for that last day. I'm telling you on the authority of God's word that your sins are forgiven. Trust him. Be at rest. Be at peace. And that is our prayer this morning, that as we come to the word, that you too would realize that we need him. We're working our way through the Psalms of Ascent, and we have been challenged in discipleship, constantly working our way up in a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, His Son. And so this morning, I ask you to follow along with me in Psalm 127, familiar to so many of you, and have heard it in probably so many different contexts, and that is because the words that we have written in our Bibles can be used in so many different ways in this psalm. I want you to think for a moment, even before I get started, about the house in which you are building. Before I read the text, let me just share with you, many have, whether it's Dr. Lewis or Long or Peterson's, those who have written so many things on the Psalms of Ascent, realize that one of the most important things that we're going to talk about this morning is the house, the house that is being built by God. So I'm going to challenge you to read along with me Psalm 127 before we dive into so much of its intro and listen clearly. Attributed to Solomon, this one and only one other that we know for sure, whether it was taken back on Solomon before building the first temple or an exile that is actually writing it back from rebuilding after the captivity. 
But listen to what we are told. It's more of instruction rather than a lament or cry out. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. There is so much here for us to begin on. Bear with me for a minute as I give you this focus, first and foremost, this morning on the house. And I want you to write this down, put it in your mind. What we're speaking about this morning is a relationship that exists. We're not speaking of just a building. The analogies, and I'll explain in just a moment as we go forward, keep in mind the Psalms of Ascent are about discipleship. It's about the journey back to the place in which God has for you. It's the journey back to climbing up and experiencing all the blessings that come in this relationship that we have with the Father. In this upward climb of discipleship, we have learned in so many ways the same thing the writers of the New Testament tell us, especially in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, when we are told this, you should love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, there you go. And so we learn that it's about a relationship. The upward climb of discipleship is about learning to take your entire life and submit it, every bit of it, the foot of the cross to Jesus Christ. So before we even begin this morning, I can ask you, parents, Think of yourselves as the watchmen and the builders. I'll explain why in a moment. But it's imperative that you lead your children on this upward climb of discipleship. As parents, you're commanded, as disciples, to do this with your children. It's not an option. If you're not a disciple this morning, just listen. Because for those who do not belong to Jesus Christ, the upward climb can never happen. You can never experience the blessings of the Christian life and all that goes along with this wonderful life that God builds for us, sustains for us, watches over us, protects and provides and promises for us, you'll see, if you're not in Christ. You don't just expect the home to be fine. Think with me for just a moment. We realize as parents that we've got to be the ones that lead our children up the climb. Now mark this in your minds, parents. If you've already been there, think about it as grandparents. If you don't lead them up, the world will constantly tear them down. That's the choice. Whether it's your children or now your grandchildren. If you do not lead them up the climb of discipleship, I promise you the world will what? Tear them down. It's up to you to make sure 
that you have a house that has been protected. We'll share this, and here's why. We know that the family does not thrive on its own. It has to be an intentional effort made. Believe it or not, folks, I think my children are the only children in the world that when they were born, they've been perfect since day one. And I mean that. I love them dearly. They're perfect in the eyes of the Lord, just as they are. But no, the truth of it is, it didn't just happen. They have the best dad they could ever have. Their mom is superb, because she has a wonderful husband. And the truth of it is, is all that would work out, we all know that our children don't just naturally fall into the ranks of discipleship and didn't just one day turn and look at me and say, you know what, Dad, I think I'd love to serve Jesus. What about you? That didn't happen. It took daily prayers. I can honestly tell you, I still pray for every one of my children on a regular basis about something particular. Do you know what it is? Not just about their salvation. But what became more important to me was that the Lord, if they marry, let it be a person you have chosen just for them. And I haven't had one marry yet. I don't know if I'm praying wrong, or if my standards are too high, or if my children will hate me for this. But folks, it's intentional. You've got to bathe your children. You only get one chance. We had a family in our previous church that were there. They're raising four boys. We had a lot of girls. They had boys. And I remember one day when the parents were talking about their homeschooling and their efforts and the strictness that went about in their life and the rigidity that was a part of things that first appeared to me to seem so legalistic and structured... Until one day he made the comment to me and he said, you know, pastor, I thought you would understand this. The Lord's only given me one chance to do it right. I've only been given so many years to accomplish the task. Why would I waste one moment on anything else? Man, if that's not convicting, guys, I'll ask you here this morning, have you been the watchman of your house? Have you been the builder of your house? Or are you occupying yourself with so many other things? And your quiver is not going to be right. You see, it's all about this as we come down to it. Because the storms of life are going to be raging. What we're talking about is being built on a house that is solid. The New Testament reminds us that we're built on the what? The rock. That's what we're told about in scriptures in Matthew chapter 7. It's for the one who listens to the words of Jesus Christ that is built on the rock. The one who doesn't listen to the words is building on the what? The sinking sand. And when the storms of life come raging, you're in trouble. And I promise you one thing I have learned in my short span of life on this planet. It's not if the storms come. It's what? When. When the storms come, just where is your house built? Just how is it standing? Listen to this, the waves will come. They'll crash against your lives in the form of pain and suffering, disease, health. If you're not built right, you're going to find yourself sinking, sinking sand, Gulfed under the water, caught in the undertow, and out to sea. It will come. There will be pain. There will be sickness. And it will affect you. 
It also doesn't come just in that. It comes in the form of difficult times, hardships. They're not all going to be rosy. They're not all going to be experiencing the blessedness of life. There's going to be times when you're challenged, when your faith is going to be challenged. There's going to be times that are difficult, times that are filled with temptation. You're going to have to be strong enough to recognize it and to turn away from it. And folks, there's even going to be times when you give in to it. And then it's not just about the difficult times or the distractions that you face. It's when you give in and you realize the destruction that sin waits to cause in your home. And maybe you're here this morning and you can honestly say, Pastor, I'm one of those. I can honestly tell you I was distracted. Yeah, I went through some hard times, some difficult times. And that distraction led to destruction in my home. And I'm praying now, Lord, that they'll come back. That they'll realize the strength. They'll find the Christ that was there and return to the place they belong. You see, what we're writing about here is for the psalmist to cry out, Where is your home built? I'm going to clarify that again in just a moment. But listen, it's the story that we get from the prodigal son. That there's a time in life in which we all find the difficult hardships, in which we realize, you know what, I've had enough of this home life. I've had enough of what it is, what the standards are, and what the expectations are. I can do this better for myself. If you've raised children at all, it's going to come. That time of independence has to happen. It's part of growing up. I hate it when it comes at 10 instead of 18. But you know, we all are different. And when the independence comes, they're on their track. Are they ready to go? Are you going to lead them along the way? But we get the story of the prodigal son in which we all realize when destruction finally hits and the disaster comes and our children go wayward and they've got better plans and they're off on their own and you spend your nights praying and worrying and wondering and you submit it to the Lord. You can only call on the fact that this house was built on the rock. And just as the prodigal son comes home, returns to the place that he knows when his whole life sank. There was a place that would keep him afloat. Is that your place? Is that your house? You might say, well, Pastor, why are we talking so much about just my home and my house? This is about Solomon. This is about the temple. This is about what's being built. And that's not true. Folks, that's what's there. But this is the amazing thing about this Psalm, I want to share with you this morning. Bear with me. It is so true that unless the Lord is involved in everything you do, you're doing it in vanity, uselessness, and carelessness. There is nothing in your life that the Lord doesn't care about. You can't just say the few things that matter most, I've followed the Lord, the rest is on me. It's all about your relationship. Everything that you're aiming for is going to crumble if the Lord's not involved. Let me put it simple. Without Christ, you have made some pointless plans. And so where do we find this? Bear with me. 127. Look at some of these words very quickly. I'll give you the depth stuff up front so that you can have all the nitty-gritty and the things that you love to have when you go home to study. Why is it that I take this and put it in the fashions of our home and of our houses and of parents? We'll listen to the words that are used throughout the psalm as 
Solomon, the one of wisdom, who prayed for the wisdom, gives us instruction. Folks, just in this one short psalm, we have all kinds of words, a flood of language that comes from the original that puts it in its context. The word for Lord here, when the Lord restored, verse 1, if your Bible doesn't have it, it's probably all capital letters. Because in English, the all capital letters mean something special in the original language. Do you know what it means? It's your tetragamenon. It's your holy covenantal name. It's the word Yahweh. It's an amazing name that's been put together over time. It's the one that's unpronounceable, and there is no way to say it. But this is the covenant-keeping name that is used for God. It is Yahweh. The writer tells us that this is about covenants. This is about someone being faithful. This is about a God who cares about relationships, who's made covenants with his children, beginning clear back with Abraham and following through in the new covenant with Christ and the children that are now reached. It's about relationships. That's why it's there. The word for build, folks, this is an amazing word, unless you have built your house. It's the same word translated in the Old Testament many times, not only as build, but also as to build up or to edify. We're not just talking about a house that's going to be edified. We're not just talking about bricks and stone that we're going to edify. We're talking about a covenant-keeping God who's made promises to His people and wants to know whether you've edified it, whether it's been extolled and built up. This is the most amazing part. The word that we have here in 127, unless the Lord builds the house. Listen to this. You'll understand it when I tell you this. It's the same word in reference to when we say the house of Israel, the house of Jacob, the house of Joseph. We're not talking about a structure. We're talking about what? A lineage. We're talking about a home today. We're talking about a line of people That's the words that are used. These aren't my words. Yes, Solomon is writing with wisdom, and unless the Lord builds the house, let me put it in context, unless the covenant-keeping God does not edify your lineage, the house that's been created from your families, from your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, then what you have is in vain. That's the same word that we get, folks. First time it's mentioned in Exodus, it's the word that has come from our commandments that says, do not use the name of the Lord in what? Vain. Folks, I say this gently and I won't say it out loud, but it's not the use of profanity that we're talking about. When you use the name of the Lord in vain, it's because you put his name in a context of uselessness. Oh, Jesus, what am I going to do next? Oh my God, what's going to happen? Jesus, you believe that? I've even heard it at basketball games. I've heard him call it to the referees. I felt like doing it myself. You see, vanity is when you context it, contextualize it, and realize that you're putting the name of God, the covenant-keeping God, in a context of uselessness. It's vanity. It means nothing. It accomplishes nothing. God says, don't do it. Don't attach me to anything that's done without my power. Oh, wow. Listen to what now the writer is beginning to tell us. This painful labor. Folks, I'm giving it all to you up front. I know you're writing all this down and keeping it, right? All these words that come about to us. Look down when it talks about the painful labor that's taken place in Psalm 127. 
Wow, behold, the children, they're a heritage of fruitful from the womb, a reward. They're like arrows. Folks, the painful labor that takes place. Wow, do you know that's the same word that is used back in the beginning, estev? It's the Hebrew word that is actually used when Eve was going through labor. I want you to put the context together. Why would we use the analogy and the words of Eve going through labor together with vanity, together with unless it's edified and given to a covenant-keeping God? You want me to clarify? Folks, even in childbirth, you need the help of the Lord to make sure everything comes out right. Isn't that amazing? Don't just take for granted that you're able to make a child. Because until that child is in this world and growing, it's totally up to the building and the working of who? Of the Lord. Women, I say this gently, if the Lord is not in it, you can go through the entire process in all the pain and suffering, and it be in vain. It be in vain. And so many of you have experienced it. In my own family, my own brother and sister-in-laws know what it's like to carry a child up until 12 hours before the due date and then to lose it. Boy, you want to talk about pain, questions, heartache. Oh, I'm here to say with all due respect to my brother-in-law and his wife that I don't know how they did it at the times. Supposed to be the pastor, the one who has all the answers, to know that things have made it clear up to that point but the one thing I can say is I'm so thankful their house was built on the what? The rock. To be able to go forward and to have another and to raise a family through all that. Where's your house? See, the word that is used is about our lineage. It's all about clear back with Adam and Eve. It's about our children. Listen to the word when it says, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. They shall not be put to shame when he speaks of enemies in the gate. Do you know why? He's bringing with them, look, the children that are what? A heritage. We're right back in the context. We're not talking about bricks. We're talking about your house. We're talking about your heritage. We're talking about what you're developing, what you're leaving behind, what's been left for you. Here this morning, it's all about the relationship of how is Christ involved in your life? That word that is amazing there, sakar, it's the Hebrew word that some of your translations say that children are a gift from the Lord. If you're reading that this morning in your translation, others have changed it to be a heritage. It's actually the word for hireling or wages. Oh, we like it. It sounds much better to say our children are a gift. But our, our children are hirelings. They've been given to us from God to be used for protection so that we have watchmen and builders for the next generation so the heritage of God stays true. Let me put that in English. God's blessed you with children so that you would raise them to glorify Him and edify Him so that they'll stand at the gates of your house and protect it from falling to Satan so that the next generation won't crumble 
before this world. I ask you, moms and dads, are your children ready to protect the gates of God's church? Are your children ready as in the arrows, the chets, the word, in the arms of a warrior? All of these things, they're actually the word for sons. I say it gently. Some of your things say, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Folks, the actual word there is benim. It's the Hebrew word for sons. We take liberality and many Bibles have said children because they want to include. Some of us don't have sons, but that's not the actual word there. I want to be faithful to the text. It is the word for sons. Job makes the difference between sons and daughters, but it makes more sense when you keep it in its context that we're talking about sons, the ones that are raised to be leaders in the home, to take it to the next step, to take it to the next level, the next generation, to be the next leaders. I'm excited to tell you, I'm bragging about my son. He's my eldest. He's our first. And yet, in a few weeks or a month, we'll be leaving you for a short while. Because we've been called and told that he has been nominated by the church. He's went through all the training. And now the church is actually voting today. And the pastor has shared with me Jerry, I see no fault at all. Your son is going to be ordained a leader in the church, and we'd like you to be a part of it. Praise the Lord that I have an arrow in my quiver that will stand at the gates as a warrior and protect the house of God. Can you brag about that, parents? Oh, don't compare it to me. Oh, I could tell you a lot of faults and a lot of failures. We can stand together, but the question becomes this. Unless the Lord builds it, all of these things, all of these terms, all of these analogies that we're given brings it down to the point where we're doing the same thing. It's the test of our home. Folks, we're either going to be safe in our home, house, lineage, or we're going to be surrendering to Satan every step of the way. We're going to be marrying outside the faith, marrying outside the truth. We're going to be challenged and tempted as grandparents. You're living in a world different than the rest. Folks, we're living in a world now that is not only challenged with languages, not only challenged with cultures, but we're challenged with religious diversity in ways that are amazing. Are your children ready to be fired like arrows from a warrior? Oh, the challenge that is before you. Listen to what he says. The first part is all about the vanity that comes in life. As parents, you're either watchmen or builders. You're living in this flood of iniquity, of things that are destroying our children's minds. Folks, for those of you whose kids are out of college, say praise God. Because for those of us who are still raising kids in the elementary age schools, we are being tempted in ways you'll never understand. Because at the click of a button... From bullying to sights unseen to terminology not necessary to attitudes uncooperative to information that shouldn't be, we're finding ourselves as watchmen and builders in ways we never dreamed we had to be. Grandparents, be on guard. Oh, you may say to me this morning, well, you know what, Pastor, it's a shame because I didn't take the time as a parent to do that. Men, I can't speak about the, the women role of it, but I can tell you as men, let me tell you this, I pray it's true of my own life. 
The truth of it is so many of us that didn't make very good dads usually make very good granddads. Because it took the first round just to learn what we really needed to do. And now hopefully we have the strength to step in and help the ones below us do the right thing. So that we can still protect the house. Folks, we're one generation away. Let me put it in the context of Scripture. We're one child away from not being disciples. That's all it takes. It only takes you and a parent, you and your spouse, to raise a child that's not going to be in the quiver, that's not going to understand the truths, that's not going to defend the faith. And then that generation stops. Oh, I'm not worried about the generation of our country. I think sometimes we, weren't, we worry more about the political lean of our country than we do the spiritual hearts of our children. We've got to be careful. We're building a house, folks, in vain. It's not about the hows and the whats and the wheres. How are you going to do this? Where are you going to go to school? What do you want to study? Start asking the questions like this. Why are you doing it? Why must we have this? Why is this the vision? Folks, we're being challenged constantly as elders. It's part of our thing. Don't just do to do. Why are we doing this? Why must we go this direction? Not just how is it going to get done. Not just what do we need to do next. Folks, those are the challenging questions with your children. When they want to go off to college and study things, don't just say, well, where are you going to go? Ask him Why? How are you going to do this to glorify God? How are you going to do this to protect the kingdom? How are you going to do this to raise your children in the admonition and instruction? Those are the things that we learn from building a house. We're living in a mindless culture that loves amusement. And it's easy to just amuse our children and never develop a Christian worldview. On how Christ affects everything we do. So I give you a hint. When you build a house in futility or vanity without the Lord. You will find that there is no protection. You're without his provisions. And you experience none of the promises. Is that you? Gosh, I feel like I haven't been protected. I feel like I haven't had any of those provisions. I don't think I've ever experienced one of his promises. Well, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because there's no other way to get them. They don't just show up at a regular house, knock on the door, and say, by the way, God's handing out his grace to anybody and everybody that wants to live their own life the way they want it. He's here to give his grace to his children. Let me make this clear. God loves you just as you are. But he loves you so much he won't let you stay that way. He loves you just as you are. But he loves you so much he's not going to let you stay that way. He needs discipleship. Folks, the whole building of the house is the great commission when we are told to go and make disciples. Folks, without Christ, it's a life without purpose. Listen to this carefully. All the watchmen on the world, listen, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, folks, it's not the builders that build the house. Parents, it's not you that make a good home. 
It's the Christ in you that makes a good home. It's the God over you that makes the good home. It's the witness within you that makes the good home. It's not the builder. And listen to what he says this. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in what? Folks, your watching doesn't matter. You can watch who your kids hang out with. You can watch who it is they talk to. You can watch what it is on the internet. Those are all great things. But if the Lord's not involved, what good is the watching? The whole point, folks, is that we can't do it on our own. It's an intentional effort to say, I want my home, my house, my lineage to be one that is edifying and building up the Lord. And so this morning we're challenged all about what it is. The statistics make it clear in the homes that are not. I can't tell you just in Christianity, but I know the one statements about six years ago, they said it's amazing that if you were to go to the prisons and find out about all the crimes that were committed and those that had been incarcerated for whatever reasons, you would find just as many Christians in prison as non-Christians. What does that tell you about Christianity? God accepts me for who I am, and I've never changed. As we find ourselves today, we do know the true facts within just the last few years. Homes that don't have husbands or dads, we should say, are those that find themselves almost always incarcerated, find themselves in much more likely to be in premarital relationships to find faults hurts and brokenness, and also to find themselves addicted to alcohol, drugs, and something that supplants that which was missing. Do you see what happens to homes that aren't built on the covenant-keeping God? Oh, I won't belabor it all the time and all day long, but listen to this. It's a guarantee, folks, that if our life is not separated from all the things in this world, we're going to be attracted and kept by the things that don't matter most. I could give you all the statistics and listen to this. It's a high, high probability that if you have not intentionally made your house, your home, a building of God, that your children are going to be in a mess. But I can give you a 100% statistic. It's never been wrong, never been questioned, and happened to every house. For every house that does not have a watchman and does not have a builder, and for every house that does not have God involved, 100% of the children that don't know Christ will spend eternity in hell separated from God and never have another chance after this life. Never found a place in Scripture yet where as a parent we can say, but after they die, maybe they'll have another chance. After they go, no. 100% proof positive that if your children don't come to know the Lord, if they don't become arrows in the quiver like a warrior, they will not spend eternity with the Father in heaven. So the writer Solomon says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full. Whose children are prepared. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks 
with the enemies at the gate. When the enemy comes to tear apart your home, tear apart your children, and Satan will, he'll knock on your heart's door, he'll tempt you with others, your marriage is always at risk, your children are always on the edge, your life is always on the outskirts in the periphery. But for the one who is in Christ, whose quiver is full, listen to this. You can stand as a warrior and take those chets in Hebrew, the same word used in the first of Psalm 120, and rather than shooting them out, you can launch them as far as that arrow will land to upbuild, to glorify, and extend the heritage of the Lord. Parents, are you able to shoot your children? Boy, doesn't that sound crazy. Not one of you even popped up and thought about it, right? You see, terminology is everything. As a quiver and an arrow, launch your children to the highest of heights. Build them up to the highest of heights. Allow them to know the God who's created them, loves them, and has a plan for them. They're in your quiver. They're going to do what you've taught them and equipped them. Just how much will they protect the next generation from spiritual destruction? Yes, parents, that's on you. Please don't labor in vain, for the next child could be the last child if they're not prepared. Yes, it takes being a disciple of Jesus. Without Christ, without being a disciple, I promise you this. Raising your family and accomplishing all the tasks were just pointless plans. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are not pointless, that we are not purposeless that there is a plan for us. There was a plan through your son, Jesus Christ. And the Lord, if we are serving in vain this morning, that your Holy Spirit would convict us, change us, and make us ready. The Lord, as we prepare our hearts now to commune, that we realize the importance of what it means to be a watchman, of what it means to be a builder, and yet even more so what it means to have you over it all. Father, please, please protect our house. Provide for our house. And bring your promises to our house. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I'm going to ask if those who are going to help us with our Lord's Supper would come forward to help. Those of you who are here visiting with us, let me remind you that if you're not here on a regular basis, we want to invite you to come and partake. If you are a Christian, you've made a profession of faith, you've been baptized, you're part of a, a Bible-believing church. Uh, if you're in the between stages, we trust this morning that you understand that the Lord's Supper is only for those who've made a profession of faith. Children, I, I speak to you specifically this is an opportunity for you to ask those questions, not when or how, but why. 
Why do we take the Lord's Supper? What does this mean? Why do I have to? Why should I? And so those are the questions we'll answer. But if you've made a profession of faith this morning, even if you're not a member of this church, I invite you to take of the bread, hold it while we pass it out. I'm going to read some things to you as we fence the table, but then you'll be prepared to take with us. So as they please pass these out. And as they're taking it, please hold one until we can all take together. This morning, I would like to take a moment before I read to remind everyone, the Lord's Supper does not save you. What the Lord's Supper is, we believe, is the ability to share in the spiritual presence of Christ, that He promises to be with us. And for those of us who have faith, we can take and nourish our faith. We can, it can be increased, it can be strengthened. Without Christ, it means nothing. You can't strengthen a faith that's not there. Okay? So please, you may be here this morning and say, well, I would like to be saved. Well, then, man, we'll take a moment. You can just simply say to yourself, Lord, I believe that I am a sinner and I'm in need of your grace. That without your sovereign mercy and grace, I would spend eternity in hell, separated from you. And I realize that it's only through your son, Jesus Christ, that I can be saved. And I call upon him this morning. I confess that he is king, that he is Lord and Savior. And I believe that he did that by dying on the cross for my sins. That he went to the grave and buried them. And as he rose to a new life, so I too in Christ can live a new life. I repent. I repent. I change my life and realize that I am not the watchman that matters. It is God who truly provides for me. And if that's you this morning, you make that, you come and see me, I'll work with you. But I want to also remind the others, it's not your baptism that saves you. It's not your church membership that saves you. It's only your relationship with Jesus Christ. In the book of Mark, if I can this morning, they gathered together to do the Passover and they entered is where they would do that. And he said, I will show you a large upper room that is furnished and ready and there you can prepare the Passover for us. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve. It is the one who's dipping the bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not even been born. So as they were eating, he took the bread, he blessed it and broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way as we passed the bread, if you would please take a moment 
and take one of the cups as it comes by and please hold it until we can all take together. It's amazing that Judas was right there with him that would betray him. For those of you here this morning and say, maybe I shouldn't take the Lord's Supper because I haven't done right. I don't think you're any worse than Judas. It's not about how holy you are. It's about whether or not you belong to Christ. And if you belong to Christ, he's the one that helps you overcome all those things that need to be dealt with in life. He's the one that gives you the strength of his Holy Spirit to overcome all the sin. He's the one that begins the process of sanctification. And so let me read for just a moment as they're passing this out. The importance, the blood of Christ. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, and then through the greater and more perfect tent, the one that was not made with hands, that is not of this creation, Christ entered once for all into the holy place, not by the means of the blood of goats or calves, but by the means of his own blood. Thus, he secured eternal redemption. For if the blood of the goats and the bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with that of a heifer could sanctify and purify the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And he said, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. It is my prayer that here this morning you are eagerly waiting for him. Let's take a moment. A time of silence and ask that the Lord would just prepare your heart and change you however necessary so that you would be eagerly awaiting his return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've been so distracted at times, so busied with the things of this world and so consumed with building the houses, the things of this world that we've neglected most importantly our own home. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Restore to us a passion to want to lead the children, our children, those hirelings that you've given us to be quivers for you, to be arrows for you in our quiver. That, Lord, we might have them prepared and ready to defend the faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same way as he took the bread, it said, and he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said... This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Drink this in remembrance of him. In just a moment, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be cleansed by a once-for-all sacrifice. Lord, that you would care enough to give us your only son, Jesus Christ. The once-for-all sacrifice for eternal redemption. Father, again, it's in him we find our forgiveness. It's in him we find our cleansing through your Holy Spirit, the ability to repent and to make the changes necessary. Never too late, Lord, to begin building our home for you, to intentionally raising our home to defend the gates. 
Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you've given us, especially in this world. Lord, for the way that you have entrusted to us stewardship, that you have blessed us with the ability to, to make it in this world, to minister to others, to support your church. Lord, help us to see that again as just one more way of surrendering back to you all that you have given us. Lord, please take this offering. We ask that you'll bless it, use it to further your kingdom, whether it's missions around the world or ministries here in our backyard, so that we can simply uplift and glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. receive the benediction Paul simply said and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all and God's children said Amen. have a great Lord's day